0: Chapter One of Lorelei of the Red Mist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Lake Placid, Florida. Lorelei of the Red Mist by Lee Brackett and Ray Bradbury. Chapter One The Company Dicks were good. They were plenty good. Hugh Stark began to think maybe this time he wasn't going to get away with it. His small, stringy body hunched over the control bank, nursing the last ounce of power out of the callman. The hot sky of Venus fled past the ports in tattered veils of indigo. Stark wasn't sure where he was anymore. Venus was a frontier planet, and still mostly a big X, except to the Venusians, who weren't sending out any maps. He did know that he was getting dangerously close to the mountains of White Cloud, the backbone of the planet, towering far into the stratosphere, magnetic trap, with God knew what beyond. Maybe even God wasn't sure. But it looked like over the mountains or out. Death under the guns of the Terra Venus Mines Incorporated, special police, or back to the lunacell blocks for life as a habitual felon. Stark decided he would go over. Whatever happened, he'd pulled off the biggest lone wolf caper in history—the TV mine's payroll ship, for close to a million credits. He cuddled the metal strongbox between his feet and grinned. It would be a long time before anybody equaled that. His mass indicators began to jitter. Vaguely, a dim purple shadow in the sky ahead, the mountains of white clouds stood like a wall against him. Stark checked the positions of the pursuing ships. There was no way through them. He said flatly, All right, damn you, and sent the callman angling up into the thick blue sky. He had no very clear memories after that. Crazy magnetic vagaries, always a hazard on Venus, made his instruments useless. He flew by the seat of his pants, and he got over, and the TV men didn't. He was free, with a million credits in his kick. Far below, in the virgin darkness, he saw a sullen crimson smear on the night, as though someone had rubbed it with a bloody thumb. The callman dipped toward it. The control bank flickered with blue flame. The jet timers blew. And then there was just the screaming of air against the falling hull. Hugh Stark sat still and waited. He knew before he opened his eyes, that he was dying. He didn't feel any pain, he didn't feel anything, but he knew just the same. Part of him was cut loose. He was still there, but not attached any more. He raised his eyelids. There was a ceiling. It was a long way off. It was black stone veined with smoky reds and ambers. He had never seen it before. His head was tilted toward the right. He let his gaze move down that way. There were dim tapestries, more of the black stone, and three tall archways giving on to a balcony. Beyond the balcony was a sky veiled and clouded with red mist. Under the mist, spreading away from a murky line of cliffs, was an ocean. It wasn't water, and it didn't have any waves on it, but there was nothing else to call it. It burned, deep down inside himself, "'breathing up the red fog. "'Little angry bursts of flame coiled up under the flat surface, "'sending circles of sparks flaring out like ripples from a dropped stone. "'He closed his eyes and frowned and moved his head restively. "'There was the texture of fur against his skin. "'Through the cracks of his eyelids he saw that he lay on a high bed "'piled with silks and soft-tanned pelts. "'His body was covered.' He was rather glad he couldn't see it. It didn't matter because he wouldn't be using it anymore anyway, and it hadn't been such a hell of a body to begin with. But he was used to it, and he didn't want to see it now, the way he knew it would have to look. He looked along over the foot of the bed, and he saw the woman. She sat watching him from a massive carved chair, softened with a single huge white pelt like a drift of snow. She smiled and let him look. A pulse began to beat under his jaw, very feebly. She was tall and sleek and insolently curved. She wore a sort of tabard of pale grey spider silk, held to her body by a bejewelled girdle, but it was just a nice piece of ornamentation. Her face was narrow, finely cut, secret, faintly amused. Her lips, her eyes, and her flowing silken hair were all the same pale cool shade of aquamarine. Her skin was white, with no hint of rose. Her shoulders, her forearms, that long flat curve of her thighs, the pale green tips of her breasts, were dusted with tiny particles that glistened like powdered diamond. She sparkled softly like a fairy thing against the snowy fur, a creature of foam and moonlight and clear shallow water her eyes never left his and they were not human but he knew that they would have done things to him if he had had any feeling below the neck he started to speak he had no strength to move his tongue the woman leaned forward and as though her movement were a signal four men rose from the tapestried shadows by the wall they were like her their eyes were pale and strange like hers she said "'in liquid high Venusian. "'You're dying, in this body. "'But you will not die. "'You will sleep now, "'and wake in a strange body, "'in a strange place. "'Don't be afraid. "'My mind will be with yours. "'I'll guide you. "'Don't be afraid. "'I can't explain now. "'There isn't time. "'But don't be afraid.' "'He drew back his thin lips, "'baring his teeth in what might have been a smile.' If it was, it was wolfish and bitter, like his face. The woman's eyes began to pour coolness into his skull. They were like two little rivers running through the channels of his own eyes, spreading silver green quiet across the tortured surface of his brain. His brain relaxed. It lay floating on the water, and then the twin streams became one broad flowing stream, and his mind, or ego, the thing that was intimately himself, vanished along it. It took him a long, long time to regain consciousness. He felt as though he had been shaken until pieces of him were scattered all over inside. Also, he had an instinctive premonition that the minute he woke up, he would be sorry he had. He took it easy, putting himself together. He remembered his name, Hugh Stark. He remembered the mining asteroid where he was born. He remembered the Luna cell blocks where he had once come near dying. There wasn't much to choose between them. He remembered his face decorating half the bulletin boards between Mercury and the belt. He remembered hearing about himself over the telecasts, stuff to frighten babies with, and he thought of himself committing his first crime a stunted, scrawny kid of eighteen, swinging a spanner on a grown man who was trying to steal his food. The rest of it came fast then. The TV mind's job, the getaway that didn't get, the mountains of white cloud, the crash. That did it. His brain leaped shatteringly. Light, feeling, a naked sense of reality swept over him. He lay perfectly still with his eyes shut and his mind crawled at the picture of the shining woman with sea-green hair and the sound of her voice saying, "'You will not die. You will wake in a strange body. Don't be afraid.' He was afraid. His skin pricked and ran cold with it. His stomach knotted with it. His skin, his stomach, and yet somehow they didn't feel just right, like a new coat that hasn't shaped to you. He opened his eyes, a cautious crack he saw a body sprawled on its side in dirty straw. The body belonged to him, because he could feel the straw pricking it, and the itch of little things that crawled and ate and crawled again. It was a powerful body, rangy and flat-muscled, much bigger than his old one. It had obviously not been starved the first twenty-some years of its life. It was stark naked. Weather and violence had written history on it, wheeled WHITE MARKS ON LEATHERY BRONZE, BUT NOTHING SEEMED TO BE MISSING. THERE WAS BLACK HAIR ON HIS CHEST AND THIGHS AND FOREARMS, AND ITS HANDS WERE LEAN AND SINEWY FOR KILLING. IT WAS A HUMAN BODY. THAT WAS SOMETHING. THERE WERE SO MANY OTHER THINGS IT MIGHT HAVE BEEN THAT HIS RACIAL snobbery COULDN'T CALL HUMAN, LIKE THE NAMELESS SHIMMERING CREATURE WHO SMILED WITH STRANGE PALE LIPS stark shut his eyes again he lay the intangible self that was hugh stark bellied down in the darkness of the alien shell quiet indrawn waiting panic crept upon its soft black paws it walked around the crouching ego and sniffed and patted and nuzzled whining and then struck with its raking claws after a while it went away empty the lips that were now stark's lips twitched in a thin cruel smile he had done six months once in the luna's solitary crypts if a man could do that and come out sane and on his two feet he could stand anything even this it came to him then rather deflatingly that the woman and her four companions had probably softened the shock by hypnotic suggestion his subconscious understood and accepted the change It was only his conscious mind that was superficially scared to death. Hugh Stark cursed the woman with great thoroughness, in seven languages and some odd dialects. He became healthily enraged that any dame should play around with him like that. Then he thought, What the hell? I'm alive. And it looks like I got the best of the trade in. He opened his eyes again, secretly, on his new world. He lay at one end of a square stone hall, good-sized, with two straight lines of pillars cut from some dark Venusian wood. There were long crude benches and tables. Fires had been burning on round-brick hearths spaced between the pillars. They were embers now. The smoke climbed up, tarnishing the gold and bronze of shields hung on the walls and pediments, dulling the blades of long-swords, the spears the tapestries and hides and trophies. It was very quiet in the hall. Somewhere outside of it there was fighting going on. Heavy, vicious fighting. The noise of it didn't touch the silence, except to make it deeper. There were two men beside Stark in the hall. They were close to him, on a low dais. One of them sat in a carved high seat, not moving, his big scarred hands flat on the table in front of him. The other crouched on the floor by his feet. His head was bent forward so that his mop of lint-white hair hid his face and the harp between his thighs. He was a little man, a swamp edger from his albino coloring. Stark looked back at the man in the chair. The man spoke harshly. Why doesn't she send word? The harp gave out a sudden, bitter chord. That was all. Stark hardly noticed. His whole attention was drawn to the speaker. His heart began to pound. His muscles coiled and lay ready. There was a bitter taste in his mouth. He recognized it. It was hate. He had never seen the man before, but his hands twitched with the urge to kill. He was big, nearly seven feet, and muscled like a draft horse. But his body... Naked above a gold-bossed leather kilt was lithe and quick as a greyhound, in spite of its weight, his face was square, strong-boned, weathered, and still young. It was a face that had laughed a lot once and liked wine and pretty girls. It had forgotten those things now, except maybe the wine. It was drawn and cruel with pain, a look as if something in a cage stark had seen that look before in the luna blocks there was a thick white scar across the man's forehead under it his blue eyes sunken and dark behind half-closed lids the man was blind outside in the distance men screamed and died stark had been increasingly aware of a soreness and stricture around his neck he raised a hand careful not to rustle the straw His fingers found a long, tangled beard, felt under it, and touched a band of metal. Stark's new body wore a collar, like a vicious dog. There was a chain attached to the collar. Stark couldn't find any fastening. The business had been welded on for keeps. His body didn't seem to have liked it much. The neck was galled and chafed. The blood began to crawl up hot into Stark's head. He had worn chains before. He didn't like them, especially around the neck. A door opened suddenly at the far end of the hall. Fog and red daylight spilled in across the black stone floor. A man came in. He was big, half-naked, blond, and bloody. His long blade trailed harshly on the flags. His chest was laid open to the bone, and he held the wound together with his free hand word from budag he said they've driven us back into the city but so far we're holding the gate no one spoke the little man nodded his white head the man with the slashed chest turned and went out again closing the door a peculiar change came over stark at the mention of the name budag he had never heard it before but it hung in his mind like a spear-point barbed with strange emotion He couldn't identify the feeling, but it brushed the blind man aside. The hot, simple hatred cooled. Stark relaxed in a sort of icy quiet, deceptively calm as a sleeping cobra. He didn't question this. He waited—for Budag. The blind man struck his hands down suddenly on the table and stood up. "'Ramna,' he said, "'give me my sword.' The little man looked at him— he had milk-blue eyes and a face like a friendly bulldog. He said, "'Don't be a fool, Fallon.' Fallon said softly, "'Damn you! Give me my sword!' Men were dying outside the hall, and not dying silently. Fallon's skin was greasy with sweat. He made a sudden darting grab toward Ramna. Ramna dodged him. There were tears in his pale eyes. He said brutally, You'd only be in the way. Sit down. I can find the point, Fallon said, to fall on it. Ramna's voice went up to a harsh scream. Shut up! Shut up and sit down! Fallon caught the edge of the table and bent over it. He shivered and closed his eyes, and the tears ran out hot under the lids. The bard turned away, and his harp cried out like a woman. Fallon drew a long, sighing breath. He straightened slowly, came around the carved high seat, and walked steadily toward Stark. "'You're very quiet, Conan,' he said. "'What's the matter? You ought to be happy, Conan. You ought to laugh and rattle your chain. You're going to get what you wanted. Are you sad because you haven't a mind any more to understand that with?' HE STOPPED AND FELT WITH ONE sandaled FOOT ACROSS THE STRAW UNTIL HE TOUCHED STARK'S THIGH. STARK LAY MOTIONLESS. CONAN, SAID THE BLIND MAN GENTLY, PRESSING STARK'S BELLY WITH HIS FOOT. CONAN THE DOG, THE BETRAYER, THE BUTCHER, THE KNIFE IN THE BACK. REMEMBER WHAT YOU DID AT FALGA, CONAN? NO, YOU DON'T REMEMBER NOW. I'VE BEEN A LITTLE ROUGH WITH YOU, AND YOU DON'T REMEMBER any more. BUT I REMEMBER, CONAN. "'As long as I live in darkness, I'll remember.' Romna stroked the harp-strings and they wept, savage tears for strong men dead of treachery. Low music, distant but not soft. Fallon began to tremble, a shallow animal twitching of the muscles. The flesh of his face was drawn, iron-shaping under the hammer. Quite suddenly he went down on his knees. His hand struck stark shoulders, slid inward to the throat, and locked there. Outside, the sound of fighting had died away. Stark moved, very quickly, as though he had seen it and knew it was there. His hand swept out and gathered the slack of the heavy chain and swung it. It started out to be a killing blow. Stark wanted, with all his heart, to beat Fallon's brains out. But at the last second he pulled it, Slapping the big man with exquisite judgment across the back of the head. Fowlin grunted and fell sideways, and by that time, Romna had come up. He had dropped his harp and drawn a knife. His eyes were startled. Stark sprang up. He backed off, swinging the slack of the chain warningly. His new body moved magnificently. Outside, everything was fine. But inside his psychoneural setup had exploded into civil war. He was furious with himself for not having killed Fallon. He was furious with himself for losing control enough to want to kill a man without reason. He hated Fallon. He did not hate Fallon because he didn't know him well enough. Stark's trained, calculating, unemotional brain was at grips with a tidal wave of baseless emotion. He hadn't realized it was baseless until his mental monitor, conditioned through years of bitter control, had stopped him from killing. Now he remembered the woman's voice saying, My mind will be with yours. I'll guide you. Catspaw, huh? Just a hired hand. Paid off with a new body in return for two lives. Yeah, two. This Budag, whoever he was— Stark knew now what that cold alien emotion had been leading up to. Hold it, said Stark hoarsely. Hold everything. Catspah, you green-eyed she-devil, you picked the wrong guy this time. Just for a fleeting instant he saw her again, leaning forward with her hair like running water across the soft foam sparkle of her shoulders. Her sea-pale eyes were full of mocking laughter and a direct— provocative admiration. Stark heard her quite plainly. "'You may not have any choice,' you Stark. "'They know Conan, even if you don't. Besides, it's of no great importance. The end will be the same for them. It's just a matter of time. You can save your new body, or not, as you wish.' She smiled. "'I'd like it if you did. It's a good body.' I KNEW IT BEFORE CONAN'S MIND BROKE AND LEFT IT EMPTY. A SUDDEN THOUGHT CAME TO STARK. MY BOX, THE MILLION CREDITS. COME AND GET THEM. SHE WAS GONE. STARK'S MIND WAS CLEAR, WITH NO ALIEN WILL TRAMPING AROUND IN IT. FALLON CROUCHED ON THE FLOOR, HOLDING HIS HEAD. HE SAID, WHO SPOKE? RAMNA, THE BARD, STOOD STARING. HIS LIPS MOVED, BUT NO SOUND CAME OUT. "'Stark said, "'I spoke. "'Me, Hugh Stark. "'I'm not Conan, and I never heard of Falga, "'and I'll bring the first guy that comes near me.' "'Fallon stayed motionless, his face blank, "'his breath sobbing in his throat. "'Ramna began to curse, very softly, "'not as though he were thinking about it. "'Stark watched them. "'Down the hall the doors burst open.' The heavy reddish mist coiled in with the daylight across the flags, and with them a press of bodies hot from battle, bringing a smell of blood. Stark felt the heart contract in the hairy breast of the body named Conan, watching the single figure that led the pack. Romna called out, ''Budak!'' She was tall. She was built and muscled like a lioness, and she walked with a flat-hipped arrogance and her hair was like coiled flame. Her eyes were blue, hot and bright, as Fallon's might have been once. She looked at Fallon. She was dressed like him, in a leather kilt and sandals, her magnificent body bare above the waist. She carried a long sword slung across her back, the hilt standing above the left shoulder. She had been using it. Her skin was smeared with blood and grime. There was a long cut on her thigh and another across her flat belly. The bitter weariness lay on her like a burden in spite of her denial of it. "'We've stopped them, Fallon,' she said. "'They can't breach the gate, and we can hold Krom Nua as long as we have food. "'And the sea feeds us.' She laughed, but there was a hollow sound to it. "'Gods, I'm tired!' She halted then below the dais. Her flame-blue gaze swept across Vallon across Romna, and rose to meet Hugh Starks, and stayed there. The pulse began to beat under Starks' jaw again, and this time his body was strong, and the pulse was like a drum throbbing. Romna said, His mind has come back. There was a long, hard silence. No one in the hall moved. Then the men back of Budag... Big brawny kilted warriors begin to close on the dais, talking in low snarling undertones that rose toward a mob howl. Fallon rose up and faced them and bellowed them to quiet. He's mine to take. Let him alone. Budag sprang up onto the dais, one beautiful flowing movement. It isn't possible, she said. His mind broke under torture. "'He's been a drooling idiot with barely the sense to feed himself. "'And now, suddenly, you say he's normal again?' "'Stark said, "'You know I'm normal. You can see it in my eyes.' "'Yes.' "'He didn't like the way she said that. "'Listen, my name is Hugh Stark. I'm an Earthman. "'This isn't Cronin's brain come-back. "'This is a new deal. "'I got shoved into this body.' "'What it did before I got it, I don't know, and I'm not responsible.' "'Fallon said, "'He doesn't remember Falga. "'He doesn't remember the longships at the bottom of the sea.' "'Fallon laughed. Romna said quietly, "'He didn't kill you, though. "'He could have, easily. "'Would Conan have spared you?' Budag said, "'Yes, if he had a better plan. "'Conan's mind was like a snake.' It crawled in the dark, and you never knew where it was going to strike. Stark began to tell them how it happened, the chain swinging idly in his hand. While he was talking he saw a face reflected in a polished shield hung on a pillar. Mostly it was just a tangled black mass of hair, mounted on a frame of long, harsh, jutting bone. The mouth was sensuous, with a dark sort of laughter on it. The eyes were yellow— the cruel, brilliant yellow of a killer hawk. Stark realized with a shock that the face belonged to him. "'A woman with pale green hair,' said Budig softly. Ron said Fowlon, and Roma's harp made a sound like a high priest's curse. "'Her people have that power,' Romna said. "'They can think a man's soul into a spider and step on it.' "'They may have many powers,' Maybe Ron followed Conan's mind, wherever it went, and told it what to say, and brought it back again. Listen, said Stark angrily, I didn't ask. Suddenly, without warning, Romna drew Budik's sword and threw it at Stark. Stark dodged it. He looked at Romna with ugly yellow eyes. That's fine. Chain me up so I can't fight and kill me from a distance. He did not pick up the sword. He'd never used one. The chain felt better, not being too different from a heavy belt or a length of cable, or the other chains he'd swung on occasion. Ramna said, Is that Conan? Fowon snarled. What happened? Ramna threw my sword at Conan. He dodged it and left it on the ground. Budig's eyes were narrowed. Conan could catch a flying sword by the hilt. And he was the best fighter on the Red Sea, barring you, Fallon. He's trying to trick us. Ron guides him. The hell with Ron? Stark clashed his chain. She wants me to kill both of you. I still don't know why. All right. I could have killed Fallon, easy. But I'm not a killer. I've never put down anyone except to save my own neck. So I didn't kill him in spite of Ron. AND I DON'T WANT ANY PART OF YOU. OR RON EITHER. ALL I WANT IS TO GET THE HELL OUT OF HERE. budak SAID, HIS ACCENT ISN'T CONAN'S, AND THE LOOK IN HIS EYES IS DIFFERENT TOO. HER VOICE HAD AN ODD NOTE IN IT. ROMNA GLANCED AT HER. HE FINGERED A FEW RIPPLING CORDS ON HIS HARP, AND SAID, THERE'S ONE WAY YOU COULD TELL FOR SURE. A SUDDEN FLUSH BEGAN TO BURN ON budak's CHEEKBONES. Romna slid unobtrusively out of reach. His eyes danced with malicious laughter. Budag smiled, the smile of an angry cat, all teeth and no humor. Suddenly she walked towards Stark, her head erect, her hands swinging loose and empty at her sides. Stark tensed warily, but the blood leaped pleasantly in his borrowed veins. Budag kissed him. Stark dropped the chain. He had something better to do with his hands. After a while he raised his head for breath, and she stepped back, and whispered wonderingly, It isn't Conan. End of chapter 1